Good morning. How you doing? Shoebox uh, is incredible. We met with um, a missionary, and they had started a series of churches, and it all started with the shoeboxes. It's pretty amazing how the Lord has used that simple idea. Pack a box, send it off, and they put a Bible study in. In this area, they have ongoing Bible studies. Many of the children came to faith in Christ. Pretty soon, mom and dad were interested. They came to faith in Christ, and it grew from there. It's, it's really quite exciting stuff. So again, pack a shoebox. It, it really is bigger than just some toys. It, it's, it's a kingdom tool. Today, we're halfway uh, through our study of emotionally healthy spirituality. First week, we looked at King Saul, just a little reminder, who was very emotionally unhealthy. Saul was a world-class people pleaser. He refused to take ownership of his choices. He was even afraid of his own army and what they might think of him. Uh, we talked about uh, this, this series is like an iceberg. The top 10% of Saul's iceberg looked pretty good carefully managed and manicured. But the 90% below the surface, Saul's life was a mess. Second week, we looked at King David and his battle with Goliath, 17 years old. But David already, as a young teen, was a model of someone who knew both God and knew himself really well. Okay? This allowed David to successfully battle the obstacles. Remember, the obstacles in David's life were, first of all, the accusations from his family, his brothers, and then the uh, discouragement and the expectations from, a, from his authority, which was King Saul. And finally, it allowed him to overcome the obstacle and the intimidation of his enemy. And that would be the giant, and his name is. And that would be the giant, and his name is. Okay, you're waking up. This is good. Third week, Pastor Brandt dealt with families of origin. We saw that a deeper walk with Jesus requires us to go back and deal with the garbage in our past that's still affecting our today before we can go forward with Jesus Christ. Uh, we saw that the Ten Commandments tell us that God lays the sins uh, of the parents down to the children to the third and the fourth generation. And we say, that doesn't sound very fair. But the Hebrew actually means consequences that repeat themselves. When he's laying the sin on them, it means there's consequences to the parent's sin that keep repeating themselves to the third and the fourth generation. In our families, we've got broken patterns, things like divorce, anger, addictive behavior, sibling rivalry, children out of wedlock. We see that keeps repeating itself down through the generations. We saw Joseph, who was the one we were looking at, had to go back and deal with his family of origin in order to go forward. 
Joseph had to grieve the losses. Joseph had to trust God. God, I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing here, and you know what you're doing in my life. And Joseph had to transform the pain with radical forgiveness. Last week, we looked at walls. Walls are are situations where the Lord allows our lives to get turned upside down. And hopefully you've thought about some of the walls in your life. They're life-altering situations, things like divorce, loss of a loved one, chronic illness, infertility, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a total loss of joy. We journeyed with Abraham in Genesis 22 last Sunday. Remember his biggest wall is when the Lord asked him to offer his son Isaac back to him. And that was a massive wall for Abraham to deal with. We looked at the stages of grief. Put that up here on the wall. Uh, we, we looked at as followers of Jesus Christ, we have different stages that we work through as followers of King Jesus. There's, first of all, you become aware of Jesus and you say yes, and you begin to follow him. Stage two, you start getting trained, you get discipled, you start growing in your faith in Jesus Christ. Stage three, you start getting in the game, you start serving finding out what your spiritual gift is, and you start being used in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Uh, Those first three stages are primarily outward, external, and then you hit what? what? What do you hit in the red up here? The wall, the wall. And now the Lord's asking us to go down below and underneath the service. Jesus wants us to start working on who we are down deeper in our souls. And I agree with Peter, uh, the author of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, about 85% of Christians were stuck at the wall. We hit a wall, we don't understand, and I just want you to know, if you're going to be blessed, if the Lord's going to keep working through you and you're going to move on to stage four, you're going to have to walk with Jesus through whatever obstacle he's put in your path. We all face walls. Today, we're going to look at a theme related to walls, but it's more specific uh, because in Western churches, we're not very good at this next topic. Today, we're going to look at grief and loss. Grief, and we're we're just not very good at it, But the truth is, give me your eyes, in our lifetimes, every one of us, no exception to the rule, at times we're all going to deal and face the challenge of grief and loss. When a family member dies, whether it was expected or not, uh, when you lose someone that you're close to, it's going to reveal some grief and loss. A family member Uh, commit suicide, Um, a spouse has an affair, we find ourselves single again, we're diagnosed with cancer, our company downsizes and we find ourselves unemployed, a loyal friend betrays us, Um, 
Denise and I dealt with this. Multiple miscarriages, and now you've got loss that you're trying to deal with because uh, you get pregnant and, and the baby doesn't live. Broken friendships, a uh, child, a grandchild diagnosed with, with some sort of abnormality. What do you do with those? Jonathan Edwards, many of you heard of him, Puritan preacher, okay? In a famous story, a sermon on the story of Job, here's what he said. The story of Job is the story of all of us. Every one of us are in the Job, the Job story because Job lost everything in one day. Literally, he lost his ten children. They die suddenly in a natural disaster. Even though Job was very rich, he lost all of his wealth. And then Job lost his health. His good friends didn't even recognize Job. He was having such health issues, okay? The difference is we usually face our losses more slowly over the course of a lifetime. Job was facing that all in a very short amount of time. But we find ourselves just like Job, and we've lost loved ones. And we leave everything behind. And our relationships, our possessions, our health, our youthfulness are suddenly all gone. Okay? The problem is, we in the church of Jesus, we don't have very much theology that we've learned about how do I deal with grief and loss. Practically, when you lose and you're mourning, how do you deal with anger and sadness and waiting and depression? And I'm telling you, I, I can think back in my own life, very little teaching on how to deal with grief and loss. So, here's the truth. How you doing, Myron? I'm doing fine. How, how's, and he'll ask me, how, how are you doing, Pastor Jeff? I'm doing fine and we paste smiles on our faces, or we say things like, and they're true, but it's not really reality. God's good all the time. <laughs> and God's good all the time. He's always good, isn't he, Myron? And even though things are awful, we just parrot these words back and forth to each other. I'm just too stressed to be blessed. I'm too blessed to be stressed. Yeah, I can't even say it right. I'm, I'm letting go and letting God, yeah. Uh, instead of turning to the grief and the loss and actually dealing with it, we, we just pretend. We, we get this little mask on and we come to church and we feel guilty about being sad. I'm telling you, it's something we need to deal with, okay? Of course, we don't grieve as those who have no hope but we do grieve that's the point we do mourn our losses we can't ignore all the psalms that are filled with grief and loss uh, we have an entire book of the old testament it's called lamentations it means laments cries out over grief characters like job and jesus Show us, you know what? There's a pathway to life even through death. There's resurrection on the other side 
of the cross. So today, we're going to take a journey and join Jesus. Jesus today is going to be our role model, and we're going to join him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, here's the truth. Most of us would rather join Jesus in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Most of us would go, now I want to be like Peter, and I want to get out of the boat, I want to walk on some water. That sounds more enjoyable than the garden. Or, I'd like to join Jesus and be a part of feeding the 5,000. Yeah, that, that's more my style, and, and I'll get out and we'll just pass out food, and it's going to be awesome. No, no, we're actually today, we're going to join Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the place where Jesus went to mourn, to get ready for the cross. Garden of Gethsemane, the place where Jesus actually sweated blood and experienced the worst loss and grief in all of history. And there's some good stuff to learn from the example of Jesus. If you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to join Jesus in the garden. We're going to read out loud together about the time Jesus is about to be arrested. And now we're going to see God with skin on. Jesus Christ, he's going to deal with grief and loss. Read with me. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. And he became anguished. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Let's pray. Lord, I realize this is not fun subject. So would you help us today as we deal with something that's sad and serious and hard. So we're going to need your spirit today as we look at grief and loss and we look at your son and how he experienced the worst grief and loss in all of history. So we ask that your word might be alive today we invite your spirit to come and take charge in your church this morning. Lord, I feel uh, pressed right now to pray for your chosen people, Israel, right now, who are right now at war. And I want to pray for those who are in mourning. Thousands have lost loved ones. And I pray, Lord, that you might use these times to open doors of spiritual revival to both the Jews and the Palestinians. Lord, you break through. That's what we're asking. And as we get near to the second coming of your son Jesus, Lord, I pray that we here in your church would be ready and willing and able to share the good news of Jesus with the people you put in our path. Lord, help us to be ready to share the reason for hope that we have 
And Lord, help us to get ready because it feels, Lord, like you're coming back soon. So come on back, Maranatha, come soon. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, you can be seated. Here is a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, This is uh, the actual garden. It's on the Mount of Olives, just outside the old city, the gated city of Jerusalem. Uh, This is an olive grove uh, that they tell us some of the trees date back, some as close to the time of Jesus. So some of these trees possibly could have been there probably much smaller in Jesus' day. In, in Jesus' time, this was the place where they would gather olives and press and crush the olives to produce olive oil. Okay? Gethsemane in Aramaic actually means olive press. So this is the place of pressing. And that's what we're going to see happen in Jesus' life. He's going to get pressed here. This is the original Olive Garden. Okay? When I think of Olive Garden, more breadsticks, please. Right? Jesus felt deeply here. Okay? Sorrow, pain, and I think this is the key thing for us to learn first. He didn't deny it. He didn't ignore the pain and the grief. He didn't minimize it. Jesus leaned into it and he said to his disciples, look what he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, verse 38. That's how he looked. He said, I'm just so overwhelmed with this situation It feels like death, and death was coming to Jesus. So the first thing that Jesus models for us is he acknowledges the pain, doesn't deny it, doesn't ignore it, doesn't minimize it, doesn't blame Judas, who's going to arrive in just a couple hours and is about to betray him. Jesus doesn't get hostile. He doesn't get angry. Because of his situation, Jesus recognizes, you know what? This is a hard and crushing time. Two-thirds of the Psalms are laments or complaints, if you will. Two-thirds of the largest book in the Bible are songs about feeling sad and mourning and upset. 35 chapters, Job cries out and complains to the Lord about his situation. And I'm telling you what, if you want to see grief and loss and mourning, just look at Job as he's upset and holds nothing back. This is interesting. 2 Samuel chapter 1, David composes a funeral song His friends Jonathan and Saul have died. And now David composes a song 
about mourning his good friends. And then he says, I want everybody in all of Judah to learn this song and sing it. Can you imagine? So he composes a song and his instructions, everybody will learn how to sing this song, a song of lament having lost his good friends. Okay? The entire book of Lamentations, grief, loss, sorrow, Ezekiel lamented, Daniel grieved, Jesus wept. How? Bitterly. If we as followers of Jesus are going to grow and mature, if we as followers of Jesus are going to work through the walls of grief and loss, then we're going to have to look honestly at our pain. And I'm telling you, in the Western culture, we don't like to deal with loss and pain and death and grieving. We don't like that. So many of us, we've learned, we just go around it. We, we just, but we're stuck at the wall until we can learn to honestly look at our pain. Back to the text with me. First, verse 38, Jesus was real and raw with what he was feeling. Okay? My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Second thing we learn from Jesus, he asks his friends to stay with him during his grief. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says to his closest friends, look at it, he says, um, stay here, verse 38, last part, stay here and keep watch with me. Stay here. I need you here. This is a hard time. Jesus realizes he needs his friends. He doesn't want to be alone at this particular time. When we're facing times of grief and loss, give me your eyes, we need people. We need people around us. The, the close people around us, that's primarily the time we need them the most. Now, I just got to be honest, personally, my natural inclination when, when I'm pained and crushed and feeling uh, some loss and mourning, me, just Jeff, my natural default, leave me alone. <laughs> okay? Anybody else like that? I, I just I want to run and hide. Uh, I, I just want to be left alone. And I realize from Scripture that's the exact wrong response. Jesus shows us we need people. Jesus took people with him to grieve and mourn what was coming. Now, specifically, if you go to the text, he took Peter, James, and John. That seems to be the inner circle of Jesus. He takes them with him when he's heading to the cross. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, Peter, James, and John go with Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Luke chapter 8 when Jairus' daughter has died and Jesus goes into the house to raise her from the dead, who goes with him? Peter, James, and John. These seem to be his closest friends and now Jesus is about to be betrayed and arrested and whipped 
and take on the sins of the whole world. Jesus shows us during those times it's best to lean in to your people. Whoever your people are, that's the time you need to lean into them. Which church family? That's why we need a church family. Because I promise you, we're all going to face these times. Every one of us. Nobody gets a pass, okay? We need church family. We need community small groups. We need to be serving in groups where you get to know people. They know you. You know them. We were never meant to face really tough times all on our lonesome. Never. Never. And let me give you a little tip. Okay, are you ready? Lean in with me here. Here's a tip. You need to do this before the times come. The grieving, the mourning, the loss. Once they actually happen, it's a little late, right, Henry? You've you got to have those friends, those connections. You need to have your Peter, James, and John before trouble and grief knocks at your door. Let me say it this way. If God with skin on, if the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, needed his people when he was facing grief and pain and loss, if he needed people, are you ready? We even more need people. If Jesus needed people, even more. God with skin on, he leaned into his people. We're going to need our people when we're going through these times. So how does Jesus model dealing with grief and loss? First, he openly admitted to his disciples, this is bad. I'm crushed right now. He doesn't minimize or spiritualize away his pain and grief. Second, Jesus asks his friends... Stay with me during this time. I need you by my side. Stay close during this agonizing season. Third, Jesus goes to the source of comfort and strength and peace. Back to verse 39. Jesus went on a little further and he bowed with his face to the ground praying, My Father, if it's possible... Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He's honest with the Father about his feelings. I love that. Jesus goes to the Father and he says, You know what? I know what's coming and, and it's, it's big and it's, it's going to be awful. This suffering that lies right in front of me, I'm dreading. And there's anguish and sorrow and grief in Jesus' words. Father, if it's possible, could you find another way? Father, is there another way out of this? Because if there is, I'm all for that. But not my will to be done here. I want your will to be done in my life. Jesus is honest and real and raw in his prayers to the Father. He's crying out. He's saying, Lord, uh, this, this, this cross, 
all the sin being separated from you. I can't hardly handle it. And he runs to the Father in his season of loss and grief. Which reminds us, look up. (laughs) Oh Lord, I need your help. I need your help. I'd like to invite up right now one of my favorites, okay? When Denise and I uh, first came here 32 years ago, Carol, come on up. Um, One of the very first people that Denise and I uh, got to know was uh, our friend Carol Haynes Nason. Got you a nice chair right here. Yes, we do. Carol uh, has unfortunately, she said that's unfortunate, has become kind of an expert at grief and loss. Um, At age 35, Mm -hmm. Carol lost her husband, Paul. She's going to share about that in just a moment. About 35 years later, she lost her husband, Bill, to -hmm. cancer. Many of us knew and loved and missed Mr. Bill and his mischievous fun. (laughs) Um, First, thank you for coming up here. I know this isn't your favorite thing. No, it's not. (laughs) Um, First question, how did you get through the loss of Paul and Bill? Tell us about your experience. I had to think about this and pray about this a lot. So Paul's accident in Lake Michigan from an undertow in knee-deep water was something I would have never imagined would have happened. He had our 10-year-old son, Chad, with him. He was saved by another swimmer, but they could not save my husband. The shock of this accident, and I had just had emergency surgery, was overwhelming. The visitation and the funeral was difficult. I had just moved back. I just wanted to move back to Bay City with my son to be near family and just forget about Boyne City. I had a business advisor who God had put in our lives three years before. He said, you're staying here where your son needs to be in the same school and you have strong faith and God will be with you. So one week later, real life starts without Paul. I realize that I'm now mother, father, and one provider to run a business to make a living for Chad and I. I had ran half of the business and Paul did all the financials. Well, I had employees and and I had no idea how to do payroll and so forth and they would like to get paid. My father, my prayer was, Lord, I do not understand why Paul died, but I know you must have needed a special 35-year-old. Pastor Jeff has been sharing how we need to take time daily to speak to God. Well, I'll tell you, I was in my office every five minutes on my knees praying for help and guidance. Um, That went on for a long time. Paul had a distinctive handwriting. And being in the office and seeing the handwriting would immediately take me down the mountain to the bottom. I would have to work hard to climb back up on top. I knew in my heart God would take me day by day through whatever was ahead of me. Some days I felt like, God, just don't give up on me. We had no family living up here, and I knew I needed help. There were three young people who we got to know through Youth for Christ. They were our lifesavers to us. Wallen Lake Community Church was always here for us also. But God also put a family in our lives through Little League who were a Christian, great Christian family. There were four of them, and soon we were a family of six. 
They helped us so much. I worked every Saturday, and Chad went to their house to enjoy the outdoors and learn about nature. I was invited to come every Saturday night for dinner, and we had fun playing games. What a lifesaver they were. As the years went by, I was able to help them in their time of need. And that's how I got through the loss of Paul. <clears throat> I was a widow for 16 years, never thinking I would remarry. God put Bill in my life, and he had lost his wife to illness. So we both understood what it was like to lose a spouse. Plus, I had known him for 20 years, so I kind of knew who he was. <laughs> we got married, and we both had our own careers. He was an engineer, and I owned a women's clothing store. After five years, God had other plans for us, and we both ended up retiring, and this was not in my plan, I'll tell you. We permanently moved back to Boyne City. We asked God, what are we going to do? I only knew what to do six days a week, go to the store. Before we knew it, he was helping. we were helping with Wednesday night meals at church and serving about 200 people, way out of my comfort zone, and Bill was cleanup, so he got demoted. <laughs> So then we were asked about, um, would you be interested in mops, mothers of preschoolers? Well, my son was not married, and I was looking for grandchildren. <laughs> so we fell in love with three little girls. What a joy. That was 18 years ago, and they are still in my life now, and they're 21 years old. I was their mentor to them. We traveled together, and we have a wonderful bond. Oh, how they like to harass Bill. They loved it. I was asked, um, would I like to be a wedding planner at church? Oh, so I enjoyed walking along the bride and groom and the families, and Bill was a big help also. Bill was still looking for a part-time job, and Stacka's Stack funeral home became it. It was his favorite job of his whole life. We both knew what it was like to lose a spouse, and we could easily walk alongside someone during a time of grieving. Sometimes we had more full-time jobs, more than a full-time job doing weddings and funerals. Bill had a sense of humor. He would say, you marry them and I'll bury them, and we would <laughs> laugh. <clears throat> we laughed more about that, but anyway. We, locked, we walked alongside a young mother who lost her husband, widow ladies who lost their husbands, and many friends who just needed a friend. We were a team during our retirement years. Life was good. We traveled a lot, which I had not done. But December 10th, Bill ended up in ER, and on December 20th, 2018, the report stated, Bill, you have stage four mesothelioma. No cure. He asked, how long do I have? The doctor said, three to six months. The doctor suggested hospice. As we tried to understand and accept this, our wonderful 20 years of time together was ending soon. We talked about me being a widow again. I asked God, wasn't one time enough? It did give us time to be together, and Bill did everything he could to have all the affairs in order. We had a lot of visitors, which was so special. Our community small group came one month before he passed to celebrate his birthday, and on his birthday, we had a huge group of people come to the condo to sing happy birthday balloons and all, and he loved it. Yes, God needed him more than I did, and he passed away within four months. This time, I had no business to run, and my son is married and has two children. I discovered the porch 
at the cottage on Douglas Lake was my healing and happy place, enjoying God's creation of lakes, trees, and beautiful sunrises. God still has me here, so I better continue doing what I was doing before Bill's death. So doing funeral dinners, community small group, weddings, doing visitation at the funeral home, which I certainly can walk alongside of a woman who's lost her husband or a mom who's left with children at home. I sure have that experience. I enjoy mentoring the younger women and helping out at Harbor Light Christian School where my grandsons attend. And this is how I get through the loss of Bill. Thank you. Mm-hmm. One more question. Any advice to the church family? Because all of us are going to experience times like this, times of grief and loss. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen if the Lord doesn't return. Any advice? No, it's just part of life, <laughs> as I know. If you know Jesus and he is your personal Savior, we have a much better place waiting for us in heaven. That's where I want to go and see Bill and Paul. Yeah. Sudden death or knowing death is near or is so hard to understand. You can be poor me or you have a choice. What does God want me to do? So do not be afraid of grief or loss. It is through being struck down but not destroyed, is 2 Corinthians 4.9. And through being broken to pieces and those pieces torn to threads, shreds, that we become better people of strength. Would you thank Carol with me for nice? You're welcome. Nice job. Thank you. Lots of courage. Yes, yeah. thanks. <laughs> yeah. Carol referenced Second Corinthians chapter four. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but it says we are just fragile clay jars containing great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God. It's not us. Uh, put that slide of, uh, yeah, this, this is what Paul's talking about. This, this is the Tupperware, the small plastic containers that you put uh, your leftovers in. This is the throwaway containers of the ancient world. Clay jars were used to store grain and water um, and uh, olive oil. Um, At times you would even put into a jar your treasures, your money. Uh, They didn't have banks. Clay pots were everywhere. They were cheap and disposable and easy to replace. here's, Here's the key, though. Paul says... These cheap, disposable containers contain something that's amazing, powerful, glorious. Our bodies contain Jesus Christ in us. Plain, ordinary, you and me, contains awesome Jesus in us. Verse 8. But she just quoted, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share 
in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. Listen, listen close. The Lord Jesus allows you and I to get squeezed and pursued and knocked down because, are you ready? The power of Jesus in us shines brightest when we're going through tough times, through brain surgeries, Henry. That's when Jesus shines brightest in and through us. When we're going through times of grief and loss and suffering and pain, that's when we look most like Jesus. Verse 16, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Let me say one more time. All of us will experience times of grief and loss. We all will. We're going to get squeezed. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to go through times of suffering. And remember, it hurts because we're just plastic Throw away frail containers. But in us, are you ready? But in us is the power and the presence of the resurrected Christ. Romans 6.10. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives where? (laughs) Right here in this little Tupperware plastic container. Jesus lives in us. And that's how he shines brightest. Just a quick reminder. The example of Jesus. How do you face grief and loss and suffering? First, acknowledge the pain. Don't run and hide. Don't minimize it. Don't spiritualize it away. Second, uh, make sure you got some close friends who can go through hard times with you. When you're going through times of suffering and loss, we need the people closest to us. We need one another. Right now is the time to make those connections. Third, look up. Jesus runs to the Father in prayer. He's honest and real and raw in his honesty talking to the Father. Let's pray. Lord, you uh, warned us in your book that in this world we will have trouble. So thank you for not letting us get sucker punched and not know that we live in a world of trouble and death and disease and accident. But thank you, you also tell us, but you overcome the world. So thank you, Jesus, for being the overcomer. And I just want to pause and pray for my friends right now who are in a season of grief and loss. Some of them uh, are uh, doing quite well in this season, and others, Lord, the truth is, not doing so good. So would you help us to follow the model that you laid out for us? Help us to acknowledge the pain in our lives and not ignore it. 
would you help us, Lord, to gather around us brothers and sisters who are close to us, who will walk through the grief and the mourning and the loss at our side. Lord, help us to look up. Help us to know, Jesus, that you alone are the source of peace and comfort and strength and grace in our times of need. We want to say thank you for helping our friend Carol get through her seasons of loss. We're reminded, Lord, that when we get squeezed and pressed and face grief, that's when we shine brightest during those hard times. And I close right now by asking, do you know the Good Shepherd personally? Because when we walk through the valleys of life, especially the valley of the shadow of death, you're either walking alone or you've got the Good Shepherd at your side. Either way, we're going to walk through those valleys But can you imagine walking through the valley of the shadow of death and not knowing the Good Shepherd? Not having Jesus at your side to go through the pain and the suffering and the mourning and the loss? So I need to ask, do you know Jesus? Have you said yes? Have you opened the door of your life to Jesus and invited him in? Here's what 1 John 5, verses 11 to 13 tells us. Listen, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Jesus. Whoever has the Son, Jesus, has life. And whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Have you got Jesus? Have you said yes? Is is His Spirit alive and working in you? If not, right now, you can believe and receive and welcome Jesus in by faith. If you're watching online, Would you hit that prayer button? If you're watching later, you can contact us. Contact me. I'd love to chat with you about knowing Christ. If you're here in person, make your way to the prayer corner. We've got a team over there. They're going to celebrate with you. They're going to pray with you. But if you're ready to say yes to Jesus right now, by faith, here we go. Jesus, I believe. I believe, Jesus, that you are the second person of the Trinity, God with skin on. Jesus, I believe you took my place on that cross. Jesus, I believe that you shed your blood for my greatest problem in life. I'm a sinner. Uh, Jesus, I believe that you literally died for me on that cross, and I believe you took my place in the grave. I believe that. And Jesus, I believe that early Sunday morning you didn't stay dead, but you literally, bodily, physically arose from the dead. You did that for me, Jesus. And by faith right now, 
I open up the door to my life and I welcome you in. Come on in, Jesus. Come be my Savior, my Lord, my King, my forever friend. I, I choose to follow you starting now. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for being with us when we open up the door. Thanks for walking through us. Many of us, you've been walking with us for decades and decades. We praise you for that. Thank you for being faithful and true. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.